This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Life, family, and religious liberty are all causes near to the hearts of all Lutherans. What does the upcoming election mean for these causes? Are they in danger? Have the candidates or their parties spoken about them? Washington Observer and Focus on the Family Vice President Tim Gigline and I discuss this issue on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. Hurricane Delta followed almost the same path through several coastal areas and states that Hurricane Laura did just six weeks ago. In fact, they hit the shore just 12 miles apart. The flooding, wind damage, and power outages have again affected the same homes and businesses that already experienced devastation. Kathy O'Day, Lutheran Church Charities Director of Disaster Response, has been in close contact with Pastor Ed Brashear, Southern District Disaster Response Coordinator, this week, and he stated that the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, opened three volunteer camps after Hurricane Laura in the Southern and the Florida Georgia districts. Each of these camps had to shut down and teams had to evacuate with their equipment before Hurricane Delta came ashore. They're returning this week to reassess damages and continue assisting affected residents. Pastor Brashear has extended an invitation to the Lutheran Church Charities Disaster Response to the camp set up at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fairhope, Alabama, to offer chainsaw and heavy equipment assistance to those impacted on the Gulf Shores as soon as they can be available. Concordia University Chicago River Forest, Illinois, was recently named in Money Magazine's Best Colleges for Your Money list. CUC was also named in the annual U.S. News and World Report rankings as Best Regional University Midwest and listed for Best Value, Best Ethnic Diversity, and Most Economic Diversity and as a top performer on social mobility among regional universities in the Midwest. In addition, COC was nationally recognized by LendU for having one of the lowest student loan debt figures in the country for the class of 2019. A chapter of Students for Life was nearly prevented from forming after the student government at the University of North Iowa branded them a hate group, this according to a video of a Zoom meeting that was obtained by the Young America's Foundation. YAF reported that the student government had a virtual meeting to debate whether or not Students for Life group should be given official recognition on campus. Ultimately, they refused to recognize the chapter solely due to the group's pro-life beliefs. This is a hate group. This is hate speech, student Senator Mac Tenson said. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. I think this upcoming election may well be one of the most crucial in terms of uh, what we as Lutherans value, life, family, and religious liberty. My guest today is Washington Observer Tim Gigline, who is a longtime friend of this program and vice president with Focus on the Family. Tim, welcome to the program. Kip, it is really great to be with you, and especially at such a momentous time, uh, not only for our nation, 
but uh, for the culture of our nation, for all of the institutions that we care about uh, so firmly, marriage, family, parenting, human life, uh, religious liberty, and in fact, uh, the entire concept of what it means to be a constitutional republic. Uh, I think you have to go back to Abraham Lincoln's uh, re-election of 1864 uh, you know, to find a comparable uh, single election where we are actually as a nation facing the possible, at least partial, uh, you know, uh, major, major change in the way that we actually govern ourselves. And what I mean by that is that if Lincoln had lost in 1864, uh, his Democratic opponent, I feel confident, would have sued for peace. And one of the agreements would have been that we would have immediately become uh, two nations, at least two and maybe three. And I think that what we are facing now is far more a cultural challenge to our American way of life uh, than it is even a kind of uh, political or public policy a prescription about the way that we organize ourselves as Americans. Tim, I have to agree with that. Um... I actually wish that I didn't, but <laughs> but I do. Uh, I think this is, uh, you, you put it succinctly, this is probably the most crucial election we've had since 1864. Um, I have been going over the uh, Democrats' party platform, and there are some very, very basic issues there that they support or that they oppose. I think they're very pertinent to this. Um, one of which, for example, is uh, in terms of religious liberty. One of the things that they're talking about is, uh, for example, with adoption agencies. As we know, there's a case before the Supreme Court that's going to be heard on, on November the 4th on whether or not a faith-based agency can be discriminated against by the state when it comes to adoption. Uh, the Democrats and their platform specifically, specifically say that, uh, that uh, the religious exemption should not apply to that or to any other case. So I think we're looking at very least the gutting of the religious restoration, uh, the religious uh, restoration freedom act. The answer is that we are, uh, and uh, I want to take a step back, if I may, Kip, because I believe that the issue that you're raising, uh, among all the issues that we are facing as Americans, I think that this is actually the most important one. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, in the Washington Post. Uh, there was a half-page ad, uh, and the half-page ad was uh, an ad suggesting that we think anew, that we think afresh about the concept of free speech. Now, when I read and saw this ad, it literally took my breath away because it, summar it summarizes uh, quite uh, presciently what you have just raised. What it raises, uh, Kip, is the idea uh, that is prevalent among progressive Americans that the United States Constitution is outdated, uh, that, that, uh, that not just the Constitution, uh, but uh, the first 10 amendments, uh, you know, which we know, of course, as the Bill of Rights, uh, that, you know, that, that, that this concept may have uh, worked fine you know, at one time in our nation's life, uh, but that with the evolution of the uh, constitutional republic, which we call America, uh, that, that, that the constitution is in, in many ways outdated. 
we, we, we've seen this attack uh, consistently for the last 50 years on the Second Amendment. Uh, but what we need to realize uh, as, as Americans is that there is now a very strong uncomfortability on the left, which has now been formally solidified into the platform of one of our two uh, political parties, that we really ought to revisit this idea of religious liberty because there is a very strong feeling among progressive Americans that we have far too much religious liberty, that the Constitution has allowed uh, uh, you know, a, a wider berth uh, for uh, freedom of conscience and religious liberty than is really healthy uh, for 21st century uh, America. And I think we've seen this emblematically uh, just in the last two Supreme Court uh, nominations. You know, when Justice, now Justice Brett Kavanaugh uh, was nominated, uh, we all know uh, about the issues about his personal life that were very unfairly raised and alleged against him, all of which uh, were, were, were untrue. But we tend, uh, and because those, because those memories are so fresh in our mind, as ugly as they were, you know, they, they stay with us. But what we forget, Kip, is that, uh, is that Justice Kavanaugh, at least initially, was actually attacked for being a, a man of faith. Uh, there were endless uh, stories, analyses, editorials, commentaries um, about uh, what uh, this idea of Catholicism meant in his life, you know, uh, about uh, whether his personal faith uh, would uh, somehow unfairly or unethically spill over into his concept of what it means to be a great justice. Now, these were all completely false uh, 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 accusations because our founding father made it, founding fathers made it very clear that we had no religious test, uh, you know, to be a Supreme Court justice. And we've seen the echoes of it again uh, in, uh, in, in Judge Amy Coney Barrett, uh, again, a woman of serious faith. Uh, and, uh, but yet again, we have seen this kind of uncomfortability factor with faith and religion, even though you cannot understand the history of the United States apart from uh, faith and religion. It's a fundamental part of the nourishment of our freedom. So this platform, uh, you know, in one political party uh, that expresses its displeasure with religious liberty and conscience rights uh, should trouble us very, very deeply. I agree. Uh, we're also looking at a situation whereby the uh, uh, not only does the Democratic platform call for uh, abortion up to up to birth, but also repeal of the Hyde Amendment, which specifically prohibits federal tax dollars from being used to fund abortion. So not only do they want abortion uh, at any time, any place for any reason, but they also want it to be paid for by the taxpayer. You know, uh, the Henry Hyde Amendment is the most important pro-life uh, piece of legislation uh, ever uh, passed into law. Uh, I was very honored and humbled to know uh, Henry Hyde and spoke uh, in tribute to him and specifically in tribute to the Hyde Amendment uh, in the two years uh, before he died. 
uh, this is one of the great uh, bright lights and grace notes in the history of the American pro-life movement. You know, uh, it is uh, a, a fundamental, um, uh, and I mean a, a bedrock, fundamental, indisputable fact that the Hyde Amendment has saved uh, millions of innocent preborn lives by concretizing into federal law that taxpayers will not fund abortions. I mean, this is at the federal level uh, a, a, a remarkable achievement. Uh, and yet uh, one of our political parties has worked overtime through many years and many efforts uh, to, uh, to do away with uh, the Hyde Amendment. And why is that? Because as you say, Kip, one of our political parties uh, spurred on by the abortion absolutist view um, is that taxpayers, in fact, should fund abortions. I was in a, I was in a debate two years ago, and uh, the Henry Hyde Amendment uh, came up for debate. And I said to one of my interlocutors during that debate, are you making the case that we don't have enough abortion in America? that we ought to have more, which is to say that we should incentivize abortion, um, you know, by uh, getting rid of the Hyde Amendment. And although my, my uh, debate opponent would not uh, affirm what I was uh, suggesting, my debate opponent made it very clear uh, that, uh, that it was not a bad thing if the federal government were to incentivize abortions. Uh, my debate opponent said that it was a civil rights issue and that taxpayers were therefore honor bound uh, to help fund abortion. Now, you know, to many ears, uh, to many hearts and souls, that makes us wince. But it is an absolute indisputable fact um, that, uh, that the pro-abortion side believes very firmly uh, that uh, that taxpayers should fund abortion at every single level. Yes, you're correct. As I said, it's written into their platform, and I believe that uh, uh, Vice Presidential Candidate Kamala Harris has specifically said that as well. I think uh, Biden's fudged a little bit on it, but uh, again, he's. Uh, I think in the past has has voiced similar uh, similar sentiments. Yeah, I, Kip, I'd like to pick up on this, if I may, very quickly. Uh, and, and I'll I'll make I'll, I'll do this in short shrift. Um, Joe Biden was in public life for nearly a half a century. Uh, for uh, for a quarter of that half century, uh, he was uh, by and large pro-life. Uh, he came to office as a uh, as a pro-life politician. Uh, he uh, spoke. He wrote, he defended the pro-life position consistently. Uh, it was only when the Democratic Party uh, uh, con continued uh, to see a drop in the number of, of elected officials within its own party uh, who were either categorically pro-life or pro-life on some issues. And as the, uh, the, the party of his membership uh, began to define itself as an absolutist uh, party with regard to abortion, uh, did he begin to change his opinion? And it is absolutely the case, no debating, that, 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 that Joe Biden strongly supports 
abortion up to and including the ninth month of pregnancy. Uh, this should horrify us, not in any, uh, uh, not just in this particular uh, person, but in any person of either party uh, who is seeking political office at any level. It, this is unconscionable. Uh, this is, in my view, evil. Uh, and it is, uh, it is one of the main uh, issues, in my view, in 21st century America. I think you're certainly right there. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me that uh, I've been reading a number of articles that criticize uh, pro-life people for, for doing a, a single issue to cast their vote. And yet, uh, the other side has been doing this for a long, long time. Uh, I will freely admit that's one of the main factors of mine uh, when I cast my vote, is this person pro-life or, or pro-abortion? Uh, and I don't see anything wrong with a single issue on that. What is this most single important issue to you in your life? Well, we know what it is for us. The other side, I, I don't get their reasoning why they think that this is somehow a health issue or is liberating in, in a certain way for women. It invariably results in a death. That's not health care. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, I was reading a very long analysis of Kamala Harris, and uh, the analysis was focusing uh, on uh, her public life in California, her public life before uh, she came to the United States Senate. Now, her predecessor in the United States Senate, uh, former U.S. Senator Barbara Boxer, uh, was indisputably the most pro-abortion United States senator in American history. Uh, Barbara Boxer worked overtime at every level uh, to fund uh, Planned Parenthood to the max. Uh, uh, at every uh, turn, fought any limitation on, on abortion at any level uh, during uh, her infamous time in the U.S. Senate. And she will be remembered historically as the best friend abortion uh, ever had. Uh, Kamala Harris is her worthy, or I would say unworthy successor when it comes to the issue of abortion. And I would like to use a single issue, uh, you know, uh, office holder from the opposite side. You know, you and I are passionate about human life. Well, Kamala Harris is, is equally uh, uh, passionate uh, about abortion. And when she uh, held uh, one of the highest political offices in one of our largest United States, California, uh, she singled out uh, for uh, prosecution uh, one of the most uh, pro-life efforts in the history of California. Uh, I will not go into the details, you know, on this program, uh, but I know this individual uh, fairly well. And uh, when you go back and look at the way uh, that he and his organization were singled out for what I would call persecution, not prosecution, simply uh, for the courage of their pro-life views uh, is really breathtaking. And I say this in light of our discussion on the platform because uh, one of the uh, wisest men in Washington uh, uh, has famously said that personnel is policy. And the very first personnel decision uh, that former Vice President Joe Biden made in selecting his running mate 
um, has been and is uh, an abortion absolutist. Uh, she is uncomfortable using the word abortion. She will use euphemisms like reproductive health. She will use uh, the kind of euphemisms that she used when she uh, uh, attacked uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh in his hearings uh, with regard uh, to, uh, to this issue. But we ought uh, tread very uh, tenderly on this question because uh, if the Harris-Biden uh, ticket were to win, uh, it will be without any equal in all of American history the most pro-abortion ticket uh, ever elected and placed into uh, the federal government. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, and there are other aspects of what would happen with the Biden-Harris uh, ticket that are, I find very disturbing. Uh, enormous tax increases will be coming our way. Well, you know, that's the way they pay, they play the game in, in Washington. Uh, it calls for... Uh, uh, amnesty, or at least a path to citizenship for illegal aliens, rather than enforcing our current uh, laws. It calls for, as I said, uh, special spending for special groups. Uh, the interesting thing in reading this uh, this platform is that it appeals to every single minority grievance group. It doesn't address the country as a whole. You know, uh, it's uh, it's very interesting because. Um, when George Washington, our first president, <clears throat> was preparing to leave office, um, his, uh, his farewell address is one of, one of the greatest speeches in American history. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable in and of itself that Washington, who was unanimously elected president the first time around and, uh, and nearly uh, unanimously the second time, would have voluntarily stepped down from power. He easily could have been elected to a third term. Um, but Kip, among the many things, uh, and I would, I would call it uh, you know, the gift of wisdom of George Washington, that one of the great uh, gifts of wisdom he gave to all of us is to be very wary of party power, uh, that, 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 that political parties, uh, uh, when they are irresponsible, uh, create a kind of a national disunity, a kind of national fracturing, uh, you know, of e pluribus unum, uh, you know, out of many, one. Uh, and, and George Washington, I think, uh, was wise, uh, you know, on a host of issues. Uh, you know, his farewell address is, uh, is worth reading again and again. Uh, but if I had to select one part of that farewell address that most perfectly fits into 21st century America and our questions of polarization, toxicity, and disunity, much of it is rooted uh, in uh, the, the political party structure and the ability uh, to make a uh, you know, endless number, limitless, bottomless uh, uh, number of promises simply to garner a vote, even when those who are making the promises know that they have no way of delivering uh, on, these, uh, on these promises, uh, is the height of irresponsibility. Um, it negates the idea of statesmanship and, and, you know, and what our senators and uh, congressmen and women, uh, what our presidents, vice presidents, members of their cabinet, uh, you know, it, it, it negates the very idea of good governance. 
And so a collection of promises merely to get votes, even when those who are making them know that that those promises cannot be delivered, or in many instances, you know, shouldn't be delivered even by those who are making the promises, it seems to me have created uh, the very thing that the founder uh, and father of our country uh, was warning us against. Tim, we're uh, running out of time, but I would like you to state again why you believe this is going to be the most vital election since 1864. You know, uh, Abraham Lincoln thought that he was going to lose his reelection. He uh, he wrote and told a number of people that uh, after the tumult of the first four years of the Civil War, uh, that he, Abraham Lincoln, would probably not be returned to office. Uh, the Democratic Party would have sued for peace. The war probably would have ended. And the agreement would be that we would be at least two nations and maybe three. Uh, the Confederacy of the United States would have been its own country. Uh, what we would think of as the North would have been its own country. And so we find ourselves in 21st century America with two views of the country, going back to where we began our discussion. One view is that the Constitution is timeless. Uh, that the Constitution is one of the greatest documents in human history and that it connotes the essence of our constitutional republic. And the other view is that the Constitution is outdated, uh, that it needs to be uh, changed. Uh, and we see this most dramatically uh, in a very serious national discussion going on even as we speak about whether we should pack the Supreme Court, expand its number of members, and fundamentally change uh, one-third of our entire federal government. I mean, this is really a shocking national debate, uh, you know, but we're having it. And so I think for those reasons, uh, you know, that we are going to have a very clarifying election and the American people will have to decide uh, whether they want to retain the United States of America as we know and love it, uh, or whether we want another country. Well, Tim, I think you spelled it out exactly. It is a crucial decision. And as Christians, Lutherans, and as citizens, we have to make our decision and make our voices heard. Thank you very much for being on the program. It's a pleasure and an honor. God bless America. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.